following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Now, last week we jumped into Genesis and we studied chapter 1, verse 1. And what we saw in that was that the opening verse of the Bible is introducing us to God. That God of the universe is disclosing what is hidden. He is revealing himself to us and he is telling us from the beginning, we're seeing that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So all that we see, we know that God created it. Well, today we're going to look at most of chapter 1 and we're going to see what God created. And here's what I hope we will see. This is the, this is the big idea that's in your outline. It'll come up on the screen for you. Um, and so you can follow along with us there. So here's the big idea. God spoke and created all things out of nothing. What he created was good and was created for his glory. Let me read that again. God spoke and created all things out of nothing. What he created was good and was created for his glory. Now let me just tell you something, that the next two sermons... Well, actually three. This one, next week's, and the week following are going to come from two of the most essential chapters and parts of the Bible that you're going to read. They're going to help us understand how God originally designed and planned all that he made way before sin ever entered the world. It's going to give us a portrait of God's original plan and idea. Let me give you a couple of examples to help you kind of get a feel for what I'm talking about. On June 4th, 1896, Henry Ford drove the first horseless carriage down Grand River Avenue in Detroit through three major intersections. The quadricycle, which ran on four bicycle tires and had a doorbell for a horn, could go up to 20 miles an hour. Ford's original design was simple. He wanted to build a carriage that didn't need a horse and ran on gas. The first of its kind. Later that year, Henry Ford sold that quadricycle for $200 so that he could begin work on the next car or quadricycle that he wanted to build. Now, the the new owner of the quadricycle thought so little of this thing that two years later, he sold it back to Ford for $65. He took a loss on it because he thought, what in the world is this piece of junk? Well, that piece of junk is now today sitting in the Ford Museum in in glass protected with sensors because it's an invaluable automobile, the first one ever made. But I'm sure, I'm pretty sure that when Henry Ford created the quadricycle, I don't think he envisioned the Ford GT, which has 660 horsepower and can go up to zero to 60 in three seconds. But every one of you today, you drove in today in a horseless carriage. A few years earlier than Henry Ford made this little quadricycle, a couple young brothers were playing at home with a toy helicopter that their father had brought home from work. And at that moment, Orville and Wilbur Wright became consumed with flying. In 1900, here's what Orville wrote. For some years, I've been afflicted with the belief that flight is possible to man. My disease has increased in severity. And I feel that it will soon cost me an increased amount of money, if not my life. 
I've been trying to arrange my affairs in such a way that I can devote my entire time <clears throat> for a few months to experiment in this field. In 1903, on a beach in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, they flew a plane with 32-foot wings, vertical tails, and a rudder to control its direction. The flight didn't last long, but it's known as the 12 seconds that changed the world. I don't think the Wright brothers could have envisioned, which I found out today, uh, a Ukrainian-built plane called the Antonov AN-225, the largest plane ever built with a maximum takeoff weight of 710 tons. It holds a record of total airlifted payload at almost 560,000 pounds and airlifted a single item payload at one time of 419,000 pounds. It has the longest wingspan of any plane currently flying at 290 feet. So 32 feet to 290 feet, big improvement. And I just found out from Dave Quilla this week that that plane was destroyed in the Russian-Ukrainian war, which I didn't know that. Dave crushed my dreams of this great example, right? Now, what the Wright brothers and Henry Ford had in common were two things. One, they created something for a purpose. They had an original design. But the second thing, they were created by a designer. God of the universe created these, invis- these, these inventors. Their original design do give us some idea of why we have the car and why we have planes. That's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to see the God of heaven and earth created things, including Henry Ford, the Wright brothers, Albert Einstein. Every inventor ever that invented anything was created by the greatest inventor of all time, which is God himself. And he created all things for a purpose and with a design. So you're going to stand with me this morning, if you don't mind. We're going to read Genesis 1, 1 through 25. Now, a couple of things on this as we read this. Because it's lengthy, if you need to sit down, feel free to sit down. But you'll also notice on the screen some highlighted phrases that are going to be particular to our sermon. So I want you to make sure you pay attention to those as we read God's Word. Genesis chapter 1, this is the reading of God's Word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The Lord brought forth, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed according to each kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the night from the day. 
and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was very, it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water, let the water swarm and with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the, in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. This is the reading of God's word. Father, may you bless the preaching of your word and the hearing of your preaching of your word. The glory of Christ and the good of your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> now let's start our journey through this text with our first point in the outline, which is God spoke. Last week we looked at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and we noticed that God is the first character that we're introduced to in the Bible. He is the main story. He is the primary object of the Bible, which would mean that when we look at Genesis chapter 1, God is the primary object of Genesis chapter 1. We, we simply do not have the authority to jump outside of the author's intent for writing this section of the Bible and get into the proverbial weeds which the writer never intended. Moses wrote Genesis and this section of Scripture to remind the people of Israel and God's people for all time that in the ancient Near East or even in our own world, who might worship a myriad of false gods, the God of Israel, the God of the church, is the creator and the sustainer of all things. In virtually every section of Genesis chapter 1, you're going to notice something fascinating. Moses showed the people of God that the pagan gods of the sun, the moon, the stars, the seas, the land, the vegetation, the skies above, all of the animals, the deeps beneath, all of those foreign false gods were inferior to the God of heaven who created all of these things. That's Moses' intent. So when Moses' people heard this account read to them, it would have overwhelmed them and they would have been astonished and it would have drawn them to worship. It would cause them to marvel at this God who created and rules over all things. So, when you come to a Sunday context, when the church gathers together and we're preaching through this particular type of text, it is critically important that we stay locked in to the author's intent. This chapter must begin with God, which it does, and the preaching must center on God, which, Lord willing, you will hope that it sees. So that's why, listen, we're, today we're not going to get into the debate about the length of days. Are these literal 24 hours or are they not? We're not going to get into old earth or young earth debates. We're not going to dive in even specifically to what we see made on each day. And the reason for that is that's not the author's intent. 
It's written to encourage God's people who were surrounded by false gods all around them to show them that their God, the Creator God, the one God over heaven and earth is to be worshipped, submitted to, He created all things, and He rules over all things. That's why it was written. So listen, if you came on a service because you heard we're preaching through Genesis 1 and you were hoping that we would get into whether or not we're young, old, or whether or not there's a debate over these issues or how long is the day, you're going to be sorely disappointed. But if you came to church, like I know that most of you do that are in our church, you came to church because you wanted to experience and know the living God of the Bible. You came to the right place. Because this text of Scripture is going to reveal to us God. That's why we have to begin with God spoke. You're going to notice ten times in chapter 1 the phrase God said is used. And each time God spoke, something miraculous happened. Something that's never been done before happened. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be an expanse in the heavens, and there was an expanse of the heavens. God said something happened. God said and something happened. God said something was created. In verse 1, we're introduced to the God who created the heavens and the earth, but but verse 3 through 31, we are revealed how God created the heavens and the earth. And what are we told? We're told God said and it happened. God spoke and things came into being. But just for a moment, think about how little you think of your words. Right? How little we think of them. Right? They said that the average person, this is the average person, uses about 7,000 words a day. Okay? That means for people like me who use about 30,000 words a day, that means some of you use about 1,000 words per day. Okay? Right? This is on average. Okay? It also tells, we're also told that the average person knows 20,000 to 30,000, 35,000 words in their lifetime. And yet we're told in three words, let there be God created. Now think about how quickly you're going to use three words today. If you're a parent, you use them the moment your child got up. Good morning, Johnny. Why are you up so early? Right? This simply reveals to us the absolute power of God and the power of His spoken word. There's no power like this. I mean, imagine the comfort that this would bring to Moses' people who heard this. Wait a minute. So the sun God is just controlling the sun, but our God spoke and the sun was created. Imagine what this would do to them when they thought about all the pantheons of the gods ruling over earth and, and, the, and the animals and the rhinos and the this and the that's. And they've got all these different gods, yet our God, the Creator God, spoke and something came into being. Your God controls and rules over all things. Think about an encouragement this is for you. There has been an incredible debate in the last two to three years over free speech. Elon Musk just recently took over Twitter, and now he is the bastion for free speech. Or so he thinks. 
Meta believes that they own all the social narratives of the world. They've got Instagram, Facebook. The world governments believe that their constitutions rule the world and rule the nations, and you can say what you can not say based on that constitution. The kings of the earth believe they can tell anyone when to speak and when not to speak, especially when you come into their presence. But friends, would you please notice that when the Bible says your God spoke and everything was created. No one has this type of power. No one has this type of authority. And throughout the Bible, the God of the universe is speaking. He spoke through the prophets. He spoke through dreams. He spoke through visions. He spoke to the apostles who wrote down the pages of Scripture that we have by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He spoke with national leaders by unseen hands showing up and writing on walls. He even told the sun to stand still, and it stopped. This phrase in Genesis chapter 1, God said, is a prelude to all of this. When God speaks, things happen. His voice is authoritative, and it is powerful. His words create life and everything that our eyes see and don't see. A.P. Ross wrote it best when he wrote this. The first verb, and he said sets the tone for this emphasis throughout the chapter and the rest of biblical revelation. What God said in His creative decree makes the point more striking. Let there be, and there was. The verbs used here are related to the holy name Yahweh, the great I Am. In Genesis, listen clearly, Israel learned that the word of the Lord is the most powerful transforming word that was first manifested in creation. What do you think the church of Jesus should learn? See, this is why in the church, you might wonder, why do we get some dude that gets up and opens the Bible and talks to us about it? It's why preaching and teaching and prophets declaring, it's why... It's because the spoken word of God is powerful. Why do we sing praises to declare the great worth of our God? It's because the spoken word of God is authoritative and powerful. It's why he wants us to verbally share the gospel with our non-Christian friends. Because that verbal spoken word is authoritative and it's powerful. All we're doing is mimicking what our God has already done. When God wanted to reveal himself, what did he do? He said, let there be. And there was. And this is why it's so astounding what John wrote about Jesus when he said that Jesus is the Word who was with God in the beginning. When God wanted to speak definitively, He sent His Son, Jesus, the absolute portrait of who He is to reveal His authoritative power, showing us once again that the absolute power of God and His spoken Word are powerful. From the statement God said, we not only see that God's word is powerful, we see that God created things intelligently. And he created them intentionally. God said and it happened. God spoke and the heavens and the earth were created. Just don't miss the simplicity of this, right? I mean, in our Western intellectual world that wants to kind of have science back everything, we have a tendency to lose the simplicity of these words. God spoke and it happened. God said something and it was created. He did it for a reason. And it started with just a phrase, let there be, and it took place. 
When God told the light to shine, it happened. When God told the mountains to rise, they did. God spoke and he created everything intentionally. Derek Kidner wrote it this way, and God said, precludes some far-reaching errors and stores up a wealth of meaning. These eight specific commands, calling all things into being, leave no room for notions of a universe that is self-existent, or struggled for, or random, or a divine emanation. And the absence of any intermediary implies an extremely rich content for the word said. In eight commands, God intelligently and intentionally designed and created all that we see and don't see. It did not happen by chance, by a random explosion, or by dozens of other false gods getting together, rubbing their hands together to make something. Creation is not unplanned or unintended and is not powerful enough to create itself without God sustaining it. God spoke and it came into being. Now, God created all this out of nothing. That's our second point. You can see this in verse 1, that God started with nothing. There was nothing before God, and God created everything that was created out of nothing. And beginning in verse 3, the Lord just starts creating things that weren't made before. Day 1, He created light and separated the light from the darkness and called the light day and the dark night. Day two, he created the heavens and skies above and separated them from the earth. Day three, he created plants and trees and vegetation and caused them to reproduce according to their kind. Day four, he created the sun, the moon, and the stars. Day five, he created the birds and the animals that live in the sea and made them reproduce according to their kind. And finally, on day six, he created the animals of the land. And as we're going to see next week, he made us as humans. None of these things were present before God spoke. Before God said, let there be, and it happened. Kenneth Matthews wrote it this way, the six days of creation, verses 3 through 31, are told from the perspective of one who is standing on the earth's surface, observing the universe with the naked eye. You're reading just a portrait, just a picture of what this might have looked like. It happens with like with rapid pace that Moses writes these things down of each day of creation. There's not a ton of detail, but there's enough to show us some things and to reveal something to us about the God of the universe that we're reading about. Notice the rhythm and the order of what God made. God said, and it happened. This is the first day. God said, and it happened. This is the second day. God said, and it happened. This is the third day. And over and over and over again, there's a rhythm and there's an order out of nothing. Out of darkened chaos, God created rhythm and order. There's light and there's darkness. There's day and there's night. There's each species according to their kind. There's a, there's skies and there's earth. There's seas and there's land. Rhythm and order. But also notice the authority of God over creation. He names everything that's been created. Now this naming piece, man, that's like a big deal to you, but I can assure you it's a big deal. He called the day, the day. He called the sun, the sun. He called the waters, the seas. And God naming everything is a sign of his authoritative sovereignty over all of his creation. Again, A.P. Ross wrote this. The act of naming in the ancient Near East was an act of sovereign dominion often associated with creation. In Genesis also, naming attests to the sovereignty of the Creator. 
Later, God entrusted his dominion over the earth to Adam by letting him name all the living creatures. So God is not only authoritative and sovereign, his power and his word is not only revealed, but then notice with me that God is the one who divided and separated. He separated the light from the darkness, the day from the night, the skies from the earth, the waters from the land, the birds from the fish, the animals from man. God's sovereign authority extends to various kingdoms that we see all over the earth and all different things that were made. He names them, but he also separates them each according to their kind. You've got to see how important this is. God has always penetrated the darkness with light. We did it in the beginning, and he did it with his son Jesus. We see it in John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, that in Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. From the beginning, God has always shed light where darkness has reigned. God has always brought order where there is chaos. He has always made everything according to their kind. You will see these phrases repeated over and over again. Friends, this means that a rock is a rock And it cannot become anything other than a rock. It means a dog is a dog and cannot become anything other than a dog. God made each according to their kind. An orange tree produces oranges, each according to their kind. As we'll see next week, man and woman create each according to their kind. Each gender according to its kind for a reason. Why? Because God spoke and created all things out of nothing with intention and with design. Now, you know how ridiculous the statements I've just made over the last five minutes are to the rest of the world around us. And maybe there's some of you in the room or you're online watching and you're struggling with the same thing. And you wonder, okay, so if God made it this way, And he made each according to its kind. There's order and there's rhythm. There's light and day. There's light and darkness. There's sun and there's moon. There's all these differences. And yet the world's telling us we all need to come together in whatever it may be. How does God see all of this? What does God think of what he has made? Is he upset about creating rhythm and order? About creating separations in the different kingdoms of the world? How does God see all of that? Well, that's our third point. What was created was good. You're going to notice seven times in verses 3 through 31, the text says, God saw that it was good. That means God was incredibly happy with what he had created. Now, the only way I can relate to this, I, I, don't, I, I cannot relate to this any other way except in this one small, finite way, is I can remember vividly, one time I told my wife, I am going to put in a brand new sink in our house. Now, those of you who know me well know that I am not mechanically inclined. We had a sink, it needed to be replaced, and I told my wife, I'm going to get you one of those nice cast iron things, be one bowl, we're going to put that down, I'm going to drop it in, and she just stared at me like, are you, are you sure you shouldn't call an expert? I said, like, no, I got this. I've YouTubed this thing like crazy. I think I can dial this in. And I was so excited about this project. And I can still remember vividly when I had everything put in, everything's cleaned up, all ready to go. And I lowered the bowl in and it sat perfectly. And I got out from under the sink and I just marveled. Like, 
look what the Lord has done, right? And, and, then, and then I got everything put back on, all the fittings in place, and then the real test, I turned on the water. The hot water was hot, the cold water was cold, and nothing dripped. There was no leaks. It was fantastic. And my wife said, wow, you're amazing. I said, yes, yes, I am. I mean, I am amazing. I, I just sat back with this moment of just saying, Dave saw, and it was good. Okay? That's the only way I can relate to this, okay? In that little small moment, you dudes that can have skills, even ladies have way better skills than I do, I promise you that. You go, look at what I've made. This is what God did. God saw and it was good. And the idea of something being good in the text is it was filling the darkness and the void. God was adding pieces to his creation. It has to do with things being productive and useful. Meaning everything God made was to be productive and useful. When God saw his creation was good, it was a declaration for how he created it and why he created it. It was designed to be good. Meaning when God saw the giraffes, God was pleased with the giraffes. When God saw the seas and the whales, he rejoiced in what he had made. And since God is the one who spoke and created these things out of nothing, it would make sense then. He's the only one that can make this determination. See, the text is revealing to us that God saw it was good, and God is making a judgment on what he has made. And the judgment on what he has made is, what I have made is good. Meaning, the text is revealing to us that God is not only intentional and intelligent and the great designer, but He is the judge over what He has created. It was good when God made each kingdom, heavenly, earthly, animal, fish, sky, earth, all of that according to its kind. When God made trees, it was good. When God made light to dominate the darkness, it was good. When He made the sun, the moon, the stars to light up the skies, it was good. Just for a moment, think how important this is for you right now. Because when the world around you says, it is not good for things to be a specific kind, and that some kinds can be and should be other kinds, what you need to remind yourself is, they are not the supreme judge. There's only one, and his name is God. They are not the creating sovereign. They are not the one who looked at what he made, each according to its kind, in order, with rhythm, with intelligence, and with design, to say, that is good. Anybody who wants to cross these kinds and say, we don't have any kinds, we only have one kind, is missing the mark and bringing chaos, not order. Bringing disunity and not unity. God has made this world the way he has made it, and he has declared it as good. What he has declared as good as the supreme God of the universe is indeed good. So the adjustment is not on the God side. The adjustment is to be on the man and human side. This also means that when God made the universe and the world, and he made it good, it means the things you see, like the the material earth, the things that you touch, the things you use, those things are good. Trees, rivers, molecules, stars are good. And this is so important because in the world that these people were in, 
The Old Testament religions taught material things like that were threats to their little gods. So God comes out and says, oh no, they're not threats. They're good. In the New Testament, the religions taught something different. They taught that material world, the material world was inherently evil. But God in 1 Timothy said something radically different. That would have rocked their world in the New Testament. Everything God has given us is good and should be received with thanksgiving and that he's given us all things to enjoy. In other words, this means, I mean, you're, you're telling me this means that I can eat my food with a happy heart and eat it like a Christian. Because I understand that behind this food is a sovereign God who has given it, created it, and for, for me, and it's good. You're telling me that I can enjoy the mountain ranges for the glory of God? That I can marvel at the rhino and be amazed at a monkey? Yes. You can enjoy a good drink with friends and hang out and talk about life and enjoy and celebrate the goodness of God in your life? Yes. Because the material universe that God has given you is good. A religion that is defined by abstinence of certain things because they think those things are evil in order to obtain favor with God is actually an insult to the Creator. God's determination of what He created is that it's good. Now that leads to the last point, which is creation was made for God's glory. See, the determination by God that what he created is good is not simply because it filled the void and it brought order. For something to be good, it would have to do the ultimate good, which is bring glory to God. And throughout the Bible, we're told something fascinating about what God has created. See, you, you may struggle <clears throat> with verbally sharing the gospel with a friend. You may struggle with telling somebody that you actually believe that there's a God. But I can assure you that what God created has no such struggle. According to Romans chapter 1, the Bible tells us that God's invisible attributes and divine power can be clearly seen through what has been made or created by God so that every person in the history of the universe is without excuse. Meaning the creation is saying something to us about God's invisible attributes. It's revealing something to us about his unique, awesome power and authority. Psalm chapter 19 that Bob read and did such a good job with this morning tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. They're declaring something. Psalm 29 says that God's voice thunders through the waters. Psalm 50 tells us that the heavens declare his righteousness. And what does it say? He is judge. Remember last week, if you were here last week, one of the comments I made was that any anybody who rejects God as a creator is ultimately rejecting God as the judge of the universe. Why? Because the universe is declaring God is righteous, God's above us, and we will give an account to that God. Now listen, you all know the feeling of what these verses talk about. If you've been to Crater Lake, you know this feeling. You walk up to the edge of the bowl and you look down, there's all this blue lake. It's majestic, all the mountains all around it. And the amazement hits your eyes and your heart and you're stunned. If you get to the edge of Crater Lake and you do not see the glory of God, you need to get saved. I mean, you need Jesus. It's a great evidence of why you need Christ. 
If you've ever been to the headwaters of a major river bursting out of the side of a mountain, you will hear the power and the voice of God. If you've ever seen the visual wonder of the Grand Canyon, and you get up to the edge of that thing, and you're like, this looks like a painting. Don't reach out and touch it, right? It'd be bad, be bad for you, okay? You'd meet the creator of that really quick, right? But don't do that. But it's just, it's majestic. It's, 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 it's beyond your, your visual senses. When you're at, on a, on a summer night when it's dark and you can see the stars and they bright up, light up the sky, it just makes you feel small. What, why do these things do this? Because the heavens are declaring the glory of God and the smallness of you. That's what they're doing. Creation is visually speaking to us. You can feel it in your senses. John Muir, the founder of Yosemite National Park, the one who discovered the beauty of Half Dome and El Capitan, wrote in a letter to his sister, the mountains are calling and I must go. What are they calling? What are they saying? The glory of God is present. God has created all of this. Creation is declaring to us visually. And what it's telling us is there is a God who created all of it. That He's powerful. That He's unseen by human eyes. But His effects are clearly present. He is orderly and He is near. He is creative. He is above us, but He's close to us. He can do anything and there's nothing that can stop His power. He can create the universe with a word. The heavens are visually speaking to us about the glory of God. And you may be saying, I I don't hear that. I don't see that. I don't marvel at that. I don't understand that. Well, Scripture is clear that this voice is going out to all of us. And we're either going to receive that truth, that it's true, or we're going to, we're going to suppress that truth and reject it. Every person in the world is getting this visual declaration delivered to them every moment of every day. All around the world, in every part of the world, creation is declaring the glory of God. And he's doing it for a reason. To reveal to you that there's a God in the universe who cares, who loves you, who has come to introduce himself to you and reveal by his power all that he has created. Now going back to our big idea, you've seen it, haven't you? God spoke and created all things out of nothing. What he created was good and was created for his glory. And our God did all that so that we could know him. So do you know him? We have Genesis 1 to show us the power and the authority of the sovereign God of the universe. But Genesis 1 is one page to get us to the authoritative word of Jesus Christ who's come for us. He has come to reveal to us that we can have a relationship with this living God. We're going to see in Genesis 3 how we've sinned against God and need reconciliation with God. Jesus is the answer to that. So do you, do you believe in God's final authoritative word? God spoke and created all things out of nothing, and what he created was good and for his glory. Let's pray.
And as we're praying this morning, just where you're at, just do business with God. If you do not believe these things, but yet the Lord has just revealed himself to you this morning, then would you just put your faith and trust in Christ? Tell God that you believe in him, that you believe that he created the world, that you believe that Jesus was sent for you. And maybe you're a believer and you've just had a rough week, a rough start to the year, and you've wondered, where is God in the midst of this crazy world and all the stuff that I'm going through? And this morning, Genesis 1 just simply says to you that you're God. There is nothing beyond his grasp, his ability, his eyesight, his knowledge, or his power. And he is with you. And he is the God over ligaments and joints and cancers and disease. He is the God over your fears. And if your God fed the ravens, your God will feed you because you're more valuable than the ravens. If your God clothed the lilies of the field, He will clothe you because you're more valuable than the lilies. So Father, this morning, we we desperately need our eyes open to the wonder of God. Thank you for speaking to us this morning. Thank you for your authoritative, powerful word. Let there be spiritual life in us. I pray for my Christian friends who wrestle with all that they see in this world and they wonder, what does God have to say? And God, may they hear and see that you are the absolute sovereign creator over all of it. There's nothing outside of your sovereignty or your wisdom or your might. I pray for our non-Christian friends who are here. We're so glad that they're watching or listening or here. Open their eyes to the wonder of Jesus just to be amazed at God's forgiveness of their sin. Thank you for speaking to us today. Stir our hearts in worship and submission for the glory of God and the advancement of your spoken, powerful word of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.